Welcome to the Intelligent Living Podcast, where we discuss all things related to life. We have the entirety of the world's encyclopedias at our fingertips. There is more knowledge available to us now than in any time in human history. So why does it seem that the majority of people are not living intelligent and wise lives? Well, my name's Elliot. I'm the producer here at Intelligent Living, and our goal is to equip and empower you with the wisdom it takes to live life more abundantly. title of the message is pretty simple it's called the blessing of nothing and I'm not just using those words to keep repeating those words to make the make this series extend or anything but there's some simple thoughts and truths that I will cover some more next week is Mother's Day I'll throw that in don't forget mom you can't forget mama you can forget a lot of things don't forget mama and don't forget Mother's Day I'll be preaching on mothers next Sunday <clears throat> but it's called the blessing of nothing we pray we ask God for something but all he sends is nothing. Recently, uh, I mentioned this Thursday, uh, you know, because we are on a lockdown. Because of COVID-19, it's the first time in history, I, I told this to a business owner last week, first time in our history of the world that the whole world has been on lockdown at the same time. It's never happened before. Now, our president... Uh, is allowing each governor to open up whatever he thinks should be opened up according to the judgment of the governor. Our governor here in, in California, Governor Newsom, um, apparently we're going to be on lockdown for a little while longer. Uh, all that we know, a lot of it doesn't make any really sense at all. And I have, do have some firsthand knowledge, not firsthand, but I have knowledge of something. I can't tell you where my, my sources are, but... Governor Newsom was in a, recently in a, in a call with all the religious leaders, and they're asking him, so when are we going to allow to come to church? And he made a statement, because this guy was actually listening to the conversation. He's a senator. And he said, well, I look at churches like I look at entertainment. It's not essential. I'll open churches when I open churches. Let me just say two things quickly, and I'll get into my sermon. You know, we're Americans, and we'll go by the rules for a while as long as we think they're making some sense. But there comes a point in time, Americans being Americans, to say, you know, enough's enough, and they're going to go to the world, they're going to go to the beach, they're going to do what they're going to do. And now we have enough information, a lot of the lockdown is totally unnecessary. There's things you can do. Of course, you can have social distancing, you can wear a mask if you're sick. Uh, uh, or ill, you obviously don't be out in the public. In Arizona, the governor said the opposite. The governor in Arizona made a decree, made a judgment call, and said that churches are essential. I said this from the beginning: churches are essential for our mental health, uh, for people's. It's it's not a non-essential. It's essential. We need. And it's not that we need church. We need Jesus Christ, and we need His church. We need people. We're social creatures. But Governor Newsom, for some reason, thinks it's not essential. He thinks it's like entertainment, take it or leave it. And so we have no idea when it's actually going to change for us. But I may say this. <clears throat> I got some news for Newsom. That is, you know, it's not church per se. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. But as Christians, we all know our relationship with Jesus Christ is essential. We know our faith matters more than just entertainment. It's not even on the same level. Uh, this is everything to us. 
And I, I know Christians have told me already they can't wait to be able just to get together with other Christians and be in church. Yeah, they hear sermons, but it's not the same as being together. And so I hope, you know, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I hope things change soon where we can all gather together again and do what we do. <clears throat> so there you go for that. Let me get right into the message. Let me get right into the text, actually. Let me go to the second part for sake of time. First Kings chapter 18, it's our main verses we've been reading about Elijah and Elijah's praying. He's asking God to send rain. It's been three and a half years of a drought because of judgment. And I left the whole chapter out on judgment two weeks back. Maybe down the road I'll cover it. But that part is important. There's a reason why what's going on is going on. But here he is. He's going to pray. And he hears from God. God's going to send rain. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, get up on your feet. Eat and drink and celebrate. Rain is on the way. I hear it coming. Ahab did it. He got up, he ate, and he drank. Meanwhile, Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed deeply in prayer, his face between his knees, and he said to the young servant, On your feet now, go and look towards the sea. He went and he looked and reported back. He said, I don't see a thing. Different versions say, I see nothing or there's nothing there. And Elijah says, Keep looking, said Elijah, seven times if necessary. And sure enough, the seventh time, he said, oh, yes, I see a cloud, a very small cloud, no bigger than someone's hand, rising out of the sea. Quickly then, on your way, tell Ahab, saddle up, get down from the mountain before the rain stops you. First point, pretty simple, is that it's the reality of a drought. Now, the reality of a drought, a drought can be a season in our own life that you can experience within yourself. It's a time, it's a, it's a moment, like what's going on in our story. Elijah is praying. He's asking for God to do something and appears to him nothing is happening. There are times in our life we can find ourselves just like this. We're asking God to do things. We want to see things happen. But all God sends us is nothing. It's a drought. It's a moment. And, and sometimes you can be going through a drought doesn't mean necessarily mean your whole world's falling apart. just means it can be a difficult season. But there are times in our life, and I think we'd all agree, that outwardly a person can be <clears throat> uh, winning on the outside. And it looks like they're winning, and they are to some degree. But on the inside, they are struggling, and they are in drought, or there's a great difficulty going on. Outwardly, they look fine, but inwardly, there's a battle raging for their soul. And we're seeing that happen right now with people. Things, out, because what's going on out here is affecting a lot of people inside of here. They're making some terrible choices. And so you think about what's going on in our story. Here's Elijah. He's simply just praying. He, he wants to see this drought end. He wants to see this, this suffering stop. He wants it all to take place, to be over. But he prays and he prays again. We know the story, but there's no answer in sight at all. And all he gets literally is nothing. He's asking God. He's a powerful prophet. But what I want you to notice something here is that when the word comes back that he gets nothing, it causes him to pause for a moment and just simply seek God. I said that in the very first message, I believe. He stops. What's the answer? The guy says, I don't see nothing. There is nothing taking place. So it causes Elijah maybe to stop for a moment and he says, okay, I know what I need to do. I'm going to keep 
praying. I'm going to step back in to God's presence. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to meditate. Uh, I'm going to seek the face of God. This is what he's doing. So in that sense, him receiving nothing was a blessing. Because when he received nothing, he didn't push away from God. He pushed to God. During times like these, there are people that either you can take this moment and, and God gives you nothing. And you look at it and go, well, I didn't get anything. And you can turn your heart away from God or you can look at it and see it totally different. You can look at it and say, you know what? I'm going to pray again. I'm going to move in. God has got me thinking about some things that I never thought about before. God's got me uh, by myself. God has me alone. Maybe God has put me in loneliness. God has put me in a, a place of separation, quarantine, if you will. Whatever it might be, but it's causing you to think about the things of God, causing you to maybe meditate and ponder life and your choices and decisions. That's some good can really come out of a lot of this. Elijah gets nothing, and he doesn't just blow it off and say well forget it i tried once i only prayed once the fire fell from heaven when i consumed the prophets of baal when god moved for me i prayed one time and now i pray for water nothing happens forget it i'm not going to pray again but that's not what he does he moves towards god right now because of the time you and i are living in there are a lot of problems happening in people's lives personal lives now i want to bring this up just for a moment and it will make sense as I go through this, <clears throat> there are a lot of personal crises happening in families and in homes and in individuals. One particular area is marriage and the family. Right now, because of COVID-19, divorce rates have spiked. There's a company called, <clears throat> you've heard of it before, it's called Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison is a, a site that men can go to, to have an affair, that hook up with a woman, have an affair with a woman. Okay, I know we can't have, a, but that's what men do. It's called Ashley Madison. It was busted years back. It got hacked into. People got exposed. 36 million accounts were uh, exposed. But obviously right now they can't, there's no relationship, but you can have an online relationship. 17,000 people a day uh, brand new accounts are logging into Ashley Madison to have an online affair. Online affair, not in person, but an online affair. Listen to what they say. These are the, the company owners. They're, I don't know if you know it, their model is it's out, it's out there. Their motto is pretty simple. Their motto is, life is short, have an affair. It's probably, probably one of the dumbest things you've ever heard. But anyway, right now during the COVID-19, we are a record, our, our, company, our, our business is booming, 17,000 new members a day. It, it can never be no better. But then they say this. The reason being is that the families are fractured. Couples are fighting. And being stuck in the house with each other, they are fighting. They're fracturing. They are either, and they know the answer, either get a divorce, be miserable, or have a relationship, an online relationship. And he continues, and he says, right now, it's a moment in time where people are full of anxiety, a lot more higher than normal, and all this added stress thrown into the relationship, people in their homes are not able to cope with each other because they never had to deal with each other like this ever before. He said, so it's a perfect opportunity, and he said, it's a perfect storm for our business to step in and help these people. Well, you think about this. This is absolutely crazy. What they're saying, uh, in fact, lawyers are saying, do not make a rash decision 
during COVID-19. A lot of family, husband and wives, want to divorce each other. And some have actually said, I don't know who you are and you don't know who I am. I never knew this about you. I never knew this about you. And, but here's my point. Instead of using this time, and sure you discover some things about yourself, about your wife or your husband, but you discover some things about God. But instead of looking at it like that and, and thinking all bad, why can't you use those discoveries to deepen your relationship with your wife or your husband or God? It doesn't have to turn out this way. Just because you're together all the time doesn't mean you're gonna, you, you, want, you can't stand it. I know it's, it can be difficult. We are, you and I are human beings. But it could deepen your relationship. doesn't mean it needs to be, okay, you're fighting, but why are you fighting? The answer is not to run away from what you're dealing with. The answer is, okay, this moment, God has put us aside. The whole world's on lockdown. We're having to deal with some things we've never dealt with before. What a great opportunity to grow or change. A pastor friend of mine who works many hours he said to me, he said, Carrie, this is a great time, which you don't hear people say that. He said, it's a great time. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I know him personally. He works 50 to 60 hours a week. Uh, it's a lot for a pastor, travels. And he said, well, since this COVID-19 lockdown, he said, I have time that I've never had before. He said, I get to enjoy my wife again. I get to be home again. I get to play with my, I get to see my kids. I get to play with my grandkids. And then he said this. He said, heck, the other day I was on the floor in my living room putting together a puzzle with my grandchild. He said, I love it. He said, this is great. Well, what a different view, right? One looks at it. This is a great opportunity to get close, draw, change. And the others are, are fighting with each other. I can't stand you. Can't stand you. They want a divorce. Well, this time we can use this to deepen our relationships all kinds of relationships. Jesus was talking to Philip. And I don't know if you remember this. Jesus is talking to Philip. Philip's talking to Jesus. Jesus replies to Philip, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Because anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show you the Father? And what he's asking him is basically that Philip says, We want to see God. Jesus says, I am God. You've been with me all this time, and it has not deepened our relationship. There used to be a song called that, right? Remember that song? Uh, if you don't know me by now, you never, never, never know me. That's what Jesus was saying. He's the first guy who said that. He's saying, Philip, you, you've known me all this time, and you don't know me? Because what Jesus thought, and it should be true, the longer relationship goes, the more deeper it ought to become. Or it, say it like this. The more deeper it can become doesn't mean it will automatically, but it can become more deeper and not more shallow. And Jesus tells Philip that. Philip, you've known me all this time and you really don't know me because you should have known me. And talking about relationships. So you think about God working in our life. And I just begin to think about people in the Bible where their world became very dark for a period of time or they were separated for a moment. And what happened in those people's lives? One, is, most of us know the story of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was a leader, religious leader. And he went out to, the Bible says in Acts chapter 9, you can read it. He went out to arrest the, the church. He hated the church. He hated Christians. 
He didn't care if you're a woman, children. He didn't care who you were, what you were. He would arrest you, bring you to chains. Uh, he cared less about your life. And later on, he would actually say, perhaps even killed Christians himself. But here he is. He's on the road to go arrest some Christians. And he has an encounter with God. And it's, it's a unique encounter. I don't, know, I don't know anyone besides him that went through this. He's on the road to arrest Christians. God shows up. And the Bible says, the Lord speaks to him. And he heard a voice. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Or why are you coming against my church? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am the one you're persecuting. He says, now get up, go into the town. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Then the next verse says, Paul stood, or Saul stood speechless. They heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up from the ground, and he opened his eyes, but he was blind. Saul opens his eyes, but he's blind. Now, why would God do it that way? Saul was a man who called the shots. Saul was a man who, I do what I want to do, when I want to do it. I have authority, I have power, I'm smart, I've got a lot of degrees. But God chose to humble Paul, more than just humble him, because he could have got up and been able to see at least, but he's, he's in total darkness. He's blind, even though his eyes are open, and he has to grab someone's hand to be led by another man to go into the city. Here he is, Mr. Proud himself, being led. He can't even see where he's going. The Bible says for the next three days, basically, he fasted and he prayed. Fasted and prayed. Interesting, Paul. Now, one moment you're out to kill all the Christians, and now you're trying to get closer to God, and you want to get closer to God. This time of darkness, this time of aloneness is doing something really good in your life. Later on, Paul would write that after he got converted, he went to Arabia. You can read it in Galatians. He said, I didn't go up and visit the church after I got saved, my, my, my version. He said, I went to Arabia for three years. Most scholars don't know what happened in Arabia other than he, went, he, he was put aside like God's doing for some of us right now. He put us aside for a while. While he was in Arabia, God was powerfully working in his life. God was developing Paul. Paul, the man Saul would become Paul and write most of the New Testament. But in the beginning, he was not Saul yet. He was Saul, but not Paul yet. And God would take him, put him aside, and begin to work in his heart. Then he would say this. Saul, who becomes Paul, would say this about his relationship with God. He, he says it like this. In the book of Philippians. That I may apprehend that for which I'm also apprehended of Jesus Christ. Paul basically was seized by Jesus Christ. He was taken by Jesus Christ. We read that word apprehend, we don't really make sense to us, but it means basically seeing that also God took possession of me. I have been taken possession by Jesus Christ. Another version says, Jesus Christ has taken a hold of me. That's what he says about this. He looks back and says, I'll tell you what happened. God took a hold of my life. God seized my life. And every single one of us, for God to move like he wants to move, I believe God has to seize us. Not something, but someone must seize our lives. And that's God. What keeps us going and what will keep us going is not just church per se. It's not something, it's someone. And that someone is Jesus Christ. Paul said, I've been seized by God. God sees me. God has apprehended me. God has got control of my life. 
And that's what he's talking about. But that is something absolutely critical. You think about, I thought about Moses. Moses, I talked about it weeks and a long time ago. I was doing a series on Moses' life. Moses is in the backside of the desert. He's alone. He's in the backside of the desert. It's quiet. It's dark at night. It's silent at night. It's, and 40 years, he's on the backside of the desert just with some sheep. 40 long years. 40 years on the backside of the desert. He said, what? You would look at that. If you naturally, you, you would look at that and think, man, what a waste of time. I've been 40 years just taking care of some sheep. What, what am I doing? What's all this for? This makes absolutely no sense. It's a waste of time. But he didn't know, he did not know what God was doing in his life. God was molding Moses. God was shaping Moses on the backside of the desert for 40 years. The Spirit of God would be working inside of Moses' life. Moses, God said, Moses, you're not ready. I'm getting you ready to lead a million people. And trust me, boy, you ain't ready yet. You need 40 years of me working in your heart before I can use you. It would appear that it would be a waste of time. But it was on the backside of the desert that he has an encounter with God. Not only that, later on, Moses would go on top of the mount and receive the law of God. To me, that speaks of revelation. By himself, gets revelation about God, and that revelation would form all humanity. Pretty powerful, I think. And there's, it's not wasted time. I believe there's great, great value. You can read others. You can read about Elijah, I put down here. Elijah's by himself in a cave, and that's one of his greatest encounters with God, because there God's talking to him. God's not talking to him before much, but in that moment, in, in that moment of alone, uh, broken in that cave, God speaks to him. It's in that place. You read about Jacob. Jacob is wrestling with God by himself. By himself, it looks like there ain't a whole lot going on here. It's dark, it's night, and you read the story. He doesn't even know who it is because it's pitch black, but he's wrestling. You might be wrestling right now, and you don't know what you're wrestling with. And you might think, I don't know what I'm fighting against. Maybe just might be God's trying to work. God's trying to get a hold of you right now. God's trying to change your name. God's trying to change your character. And I guess one of the other great examples is Joseph. You think about it, Joseph. Most of us know about Joseph. 17-year-old kid, teenager, his parents' favorite Actually, he's a spoiled brat. That's just the truth. He's favored by his father. His brothers know he's favored. Everyone knows he's favored. But something happens to Joseph. There's a scripture in the book of Psalms that describes what he goes through. But it has some insight because it tells us what he goes through on the outside. But it also tells us what he goes through on the inside. Let me read it to you. And I'll explain it to you. Psalms chapter 105, the Bible says, talking about God, he called for a famine of the land of Canaan, cutting off all the food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they bruised his feet with fetters. They placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came 
to fulfill his dreams. The Lord tested Joseph's character. Different version says it like this. His feet were kept in chains and an iron collar was put around his neck. Now you read that and say, that's terrible. It's beyond terrible, but here, because what was happening out here in his life, something was happening inside of him also, because other translations of that verse talk about his soul. Listen, it says it like this. In that place, iron passed into his soul. Another version says, soul came into his iron. His soul came into iron. The Bible says, and the Lord finished testing him. It means to refine by fire. So what are you saying, Pastor? Joseph is going through all of this, but something was happening on the inside of him. Joseph wasn't even nearly, there's no way in the world he was ready to lead anybody. He's a spoiled brat teenager. He has all these ideas about God, his family, his mom and dad bowing down to him, his brothers bowing down to him. One day he's, gonna, he's it, he's going to be it. He, that's the dream he had at 17. Well, guess what happens? You're talking 13 years later of going through nothing but heartache and pain, being rejected, abused, sold as a slave. Not only sold as a slave, he was a prisoner his life for 13 years was terrible. He would ask God to fulfill his dreams and God would give him nothing. And you would look at his life and you would think, what a waste. 13 years of, uh, I sit for righteousness, I go to jail, I'm in prison, I'm a slave, my brothers sell me. What a, what's going on here? 13 years. But at the end of his life, 13 years later, after he had his course of development of character, the Bible says God tested him and proved him. After this, Joseph looks back and he says a statement we all know. He says, talks to his brothers now. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Think about this. How could Joseph talk like this? After all that happened to him, he says, God meant this for good. You meant evil against me. I'll tell you why. It's pretty simple. Because Joseph looked at his life looking back and he saw the hand of God. He looked back and said, you know, those 13 years and nothing but being falsely convicted of crime, going to jail, being enslaved and pain and betrayal, you name it, all of that. He looks back and he saw the hand of God in developing his life. And he says to his brothers, he said, you guys meant evil against me. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say, you guys, you know, you guys just doing what God wants you to do. No. He said, what you guys did to me was evil. He calls it what it is. Christian, listen to me. There's some evil that may come to your life. Call it what it is. It's evil. There's some bad things that may happen to us. That's what happened to Joseph. Joseph says, he calls it what it was. This is what happened. It was evil what you guys did to me, but God would use it. Think about this. He says, God meant it for good. That is amazing. Because what he was saying, and you, may, you and I don't always understand this, it means that God is able to take the evil actions of sinful men and use them to accomplish his purposes. That makes no sense. I, 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 don't, I don't know how that works out, but God, Joseph saw the invisible hand of God working in his life. That behind his brother's conniving, behind all that was going on, being sold, misrepresented, 
falsely accused. God was orchestrating the entire affair to get him just to the right place at the right time to be in the right uh, position to help other people. And that's what he says. Joseph says, God was keeping me safe so I can save all the family. All the, in fact, he'd save a lot, a lot of people. He said, God was keeping me safe. Here's what I'm saying, the bottom line to this. Is God, I know, I know I just said, but listen to this, what I'm saying. God was keeping me safe when he sold me into Egypt. God was keeping me safe when he put me in the dungeon. Think about that. You would look at it and say, that's terrible. Joseph looks at it and says, you know what? Looking back, God was saving me. God has saved me from myself. God, you actually saved me by letting me be betrayed. You actually saved me by letting me be sold. You actually saved me by putting me into prison. And all this works out so Joseph will be at the right place at the right time, being the right man. God had worked in his life during that time. Now, I bet if you were to interview Joseph, how's it going, Joe? What up, Joe? I don't know what Joseph said. Well, from Scripture, Joseph obviously had a great heart. Joseph would say, I, I see God in all this. And I say way, way too often, as Christians, we don't see God in anything. Unless, of course, he gives us something. But when he gives us nothing, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's a famine, and it's a drought... And then it's a whole new world. No, God, my first point was that, was pretty simple, and that uh, the, the reality of a drought. And so what do I do, Pastor? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You, you let God be God, and I, I believe this. God has us all right where he wants us, and, but God is not working against us. God is not working against us and you're a Christian and you maybe God has brought you into a situation right now and you say, I can't handle this. I'm going, I'm going crazy. Maybe you can't handle it. That may be true, but God can handle it with you. God can handle it with you. And God des desires your trust and he demands our trust. But I think sometimes we got to let God be God. Trust him in our situation and let him work out everything, even when we see absolutely nothing. So what is happening during this time in your life? What's happening in your life right now in your heart? What's happening in your faith right now? Is it possible for some of us? Do you try to get that job back? That job doesn't even exist no more. And you say, what am I going to do? This is crazy. For you, maybe God is bringing you to, you to trust him more. God's going to bring you a job that you didn't even know existed. There's a lot of things going on, but only you really know what's going on. And I, I think this time, God has us here. God's in control. God's, God knows what's going on in our life. And we have to look at it the right way. We've got to be, be like Joseph, be able to look at it and say, I see the hand of God in all of this. So I ask you the question, what's God doing right now? Is it possible God's developing you, changing you, molding you for your future? I, I believe he is. It's a very unique time, isn't it? 
And for a lot of people, it's, it's very difficult and a lot of hardship. So let me move on here quickly, and I have to close, unfortunately. But let me, let me read A. There will be times when God will allow droughts to come into our lives. We must make a choice to rejoice when nothing seems to be happening at this time in your life. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. I believe you live, you know this, that God allows us to go through droughts. God allows us to go through some extreme hardships. Let me read a story to you and I close. It's a true story of a pastor, actually. Back in 1920, this young pastor named A.M. Overton, pastoring the First Baptist Church, his wife was pregnant with her fourth child, getting ready to have their baby. When it came time, this is back in 1920 in the 20s, when it came time for delivery, there were some complications. Remember, he's a pastor, pastor in the church, already has three other kids, fourth child, his wife, and while she's having the child, there's complications, and she dies, and the baby dies. But during the funeral, the preacher officiating the service said he noticed the pastor writing something on a piece of paper during the funeral. The pastor's watching the pastor write something down, and after the service was over, he went up to the pastor and said, excuse me, pastor, but I noticed you were writing something down when I was speaking. What were you writing? And he just handed him this piece of paper. I mean, I'm going to read it to you. They put music to it, became world-renowned, and people sing it now, I guess. And the piece of paper that he gave him just was a poem, but he wrote that moment. In his darkness heartache he said the poem's called he makes no mistake my father's way may twist and turn my heart may throb and ache but in my soul I'm glad to know that he makes no mistake my cherished plans may go astray my hopes may fade away but still I trust my Lord to lead for he doeth know the way Though the, dark, though the night be dark and it may seem the day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He makes no mistake. There's so much I cannot see. My, eyes far, my eyesight far too dim. But come what may, I simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by in the mist will lift and plain it shall all he make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he makes no mistake. 
You know, every one of us as a child of God will look back. Sometimes while we're still living here, and no doubt when we get there, we're going to look back. And every, all these twists and turns, pain, whatever, all the things we experienced that we never had an answer for this life, we're going to understand. And we'll realize, just like the poem said, we'll realize, you know, he makes no mistake. And we may weep that poem. We may just live that out and just say, I don't understand. I'm not offering answers. I don't understand what's going on. But there's a lot of go things going on right now in L.A. County. This is 8,000% increase in suicide hotline. They, they can't man the lines fast enough. People are losing total hope. I, I don't know what to do. Where am I supposed to turn? It's a moment you can turn to Christ. You think, what's going on? I, I can't handle this. You're right, you can't handle it. But with God, you can handle this. So let me say this to the Christian and we'll close. And I believe this. I don't understand it. I don't play like I know everything. I don't know. I don't know. But I know this about God. When there is nothing going on, God is up to something when nothing is going on God is up to something you can count on that I want you to bow your heads I want every head bowed please every eye closed first of all you're a Christian he makes no mistake Elijah is asking, 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 and asking for something, and he gets nothing. There's no relief. And maybe that's you. You're in this moment of darkness, or, and you just can't figure nothing out. you belong to God God does not make any mistakes and my challenge to all of us during this time is not to turn on each other and tear apart each other and families and marriages and homes but it's a time we can learn more about ourselves about God about each other maybe and grow and develop and change where God can mold us but I know he does demand our trust. And during this time, we say, okay, God, I, I trust you. Like Habakkuk says, though all, not, nothing is happening on the outside at all, everything is working against me. That's what Habakkuk says. You can read the story. We say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's a choice of your will in the midst of a famine. Maybe you're listening to me and you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you're one of those people. Right now, you look at what's going on and, and you're one of those people maybe calling the hotline, a suicide hotline. You just don't know what to do. They said people, mental health is counseling places are, are, are booming. They can't handle all the people that are calling in and wanting counseling. And suicide hotlines are blowing up. Well, let me tell you something. There's a source outside of yourself, and that's found in Jesus Christ. 
I don't know how your situation will work out. And I'm not going to say if you say a prayer, the famine ends tomorrow. And that's not what I'm saying. But I know one thing. We can go through it with him. With him, we can make it. And you're here listening to me. And you've never given your life to Jesus. Or you backslid. Because you prayed and got nothing. And you walked away. And you say, I'm going to give my life back to Jesus Christ. Or first time. Giving my life to Jesus. And I want you to say this prayer with me. You say it in your heart. Say it in your living room. Say it with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. But say this. Say, Dear Heavenly Father. I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Wash me by your precious blood. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I need help. I need hope. I can't do this alone. I ask you to help me, Father. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again on the third day. So Jesus, right now, I ask you to come into my heart and my life. Become my personal Savior. My life is yours. I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, it's Elliot back again, the producer of the Intelligent Living Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. If you found this episode to be useful, would you leave a comment and let us know how it empowered you to live your life more abundantly? Also, don't forget to rate the podcast and share it with the people that you know, love, and trust the most. We can't wait to hear from you, and we will see you next time.